This is Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9, West Palm Beach. Um, here, I'm honored to have Seth Wickersham, the author of the number one book that people are talking about in terms of sports right now. It's Better Be Feared, about the entire Patriots dynasty. Seth, first of all, thank you so much for writing this book. It was awesome. Not only is it such interesting topics, but it was so well written, and it's just great. So thank you again for writing this, uh, this amazing book. Oh, man, thank you so much. Yeah, I mean, it was... I guess it was like I'm reading the finishing the book last night and I was mm-hmm. uh, watching Jimmy Garoppolo for San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. Uh, and you're thinking you spend about, I would say, 150 pages discussing the whole Garoppolo and Brady and Belichick. And you're like, wait, this whole thing was going to be derailed because of this, because of Garoppolo out there. But uh, that was I think it was it was great. That I was reading the book while I was watching that at the same time. It is crazy, right? Because. You know, obviously, Jimmy G has is, is been deemed not to be the long-term answer that out there in California. And yet, you know, his, through no fault of his own, really, I mean, his career has kind of intersected and been this kind of interesting inflection point in the entire Patriots run. I mean, you know, Belichick had presented data to Kraft, you know, eight years ago or so talking about, you know, quarterbacks, once they're in their late thirties, the decline and explaining the reason to draft a quarterback. And, and, you know, he sent Mike Lombardi, one of his closest aides to go research all the available quarterbacks in that draft. And they, and they picked Garoppolo. And, you know, even though Brady liked Garoppolo as a person, you know, he probably liked the idea of Garoppolo less. I mean, it was just so obvious that Belichick was, was really invested in him. At one point, he used the word seamless to describe the difference in the offensive play behind with Brady and with Garoppolo, and obviously held him in, held on to him until the last second until he had to trade him, and he traded him to, you know, a hand-picked team that he thought he'd be successful in. And then fast forward a couple of years, Brady's a free agent, and he targets San Francisco and Garoppolo in a pretty ruthless move, hoping that the 49ers would move on from Jimmy after the Super Bowl loss and sign him. And then on top of it all, you have the Patriots after the 49ers traded up to draft Trey Lance, kind of hoping that the 49ers would end up releasing Garoppolo. And they actually were in trade talks with him. So it's a very odd, odd career that this guy has had. Yeah, I mean, and the idea about Tom Brady, we view him as the greatest ever, the greatest player to ever play. But your book really, you, 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 you cover Kraft, you cover, cover Belichick, and you cover Brady. And so that, what I love about this book is that you brought all together. So it wasn't just a book on Belichick, it was a book on Brady, it was a book on all of them. And what I loved about it was that he didn't play football until he was 14 years old. He was the backup quarterback for an entire year on a JV team. You know, kids today are playing football in their five, six, seven, and five football leagues. And he, he was a backup quarterback on a winless JV team. Nobody wants to recruit him to go to college. He goes to Michigan as in seventh string on the team, seventh on the death chart. And when he finally got the job at Michigan, they, they're trying to, um, Lloyd Carr is trying to push him with Drew Hansen. It's like, and no one has respected him. He's been, he's been sort of disrespected, and now he's, but he's viewed as the greatest of all time, but his entire life he's been disrespected almost. Well, there's that, and there's also, like, he, he kind of has a, you know, we all have narratives that we tell ourselves about how we got to wherever, and Brady leans into that to the point where he almost forgets sometimes that he has been respected. Like, in high school, he was once at high school, he was at practice, and he was getting really frustrated. It was a windy day, and his receivers are just dropping passes, and he can't handle it. And he's starting to, you know, rage, and his rage is one of the prevalent things that I 
you know, get at it in the book. And he's so mad that his receivers can't catch the ball. And finally, his head coach pulls him aside and was like, look, Tom, you need to be more patient. And, you know, Tom didn't want to hear that at all. And then finally, the coach says, look, you're going to be playing in 10 years. You're one of a kind. None of these other guys are. And it was one of the first times in Brady's life that a, a person of authority had kind of spoken to him in that way. And so, like, yes, you know, Lloyd Carr wanted to, um, you know, see what he had in Drew Henson. You know, Brady wasn't fully formed. Brady needed to be broken and rebuilt. And that's what Michigan did to him. I mean, he arrived in Michigan. He told, he, you know, he said he's a, he was a whiner when he got there. And when he thought about transferring, his counselor was like laughing at him, like, go ahead. You want to leave? Go ahead. You haven't done bleep here anyway, and no one's going to care if you leave. He really needed to get tougher. And as he said to me and others, I mean, you know, college, he got a lot out of college. And then the, the real, obviously, you know, the breaking point was, was the draft, where there was just, you know, a series of malpractices around the league. But even so, you know, Mike Riley, Mike Riley, the head coach of the San Diego Chargers, who recruited Brady out of high school, thought he was going to get him and couldn't at USC because of the head coach, thought that he had Brady. And he told the GM of the Chargers, Bobby Beathard, I want Brady. Beathard said, okay. And then 20 minutes later, he comes back and he says, you know, I watched Brady's film. I'm not sold. We're going to take a linebacker. And so it's true that Brady has been obviously there's been an element of him that's been completely overlooked and disrespected and he also leans into that as much as he can you know due to the story he tells himself even if you know there are some points in his life where people did see his genius but then then you also mentioned about belichick and it's it's unique because he also himself has this whole I'm disrespect. I mean, the whole problem with the Browns and, mm-hmm. and those things. So he, even though his father was a noted coach and famous coach, but he didn't really, his connect, his father didn't really help him get every connection. It was sort of, as you say in the book, it was, he was working, just copying things in places and stuff like that really worked his way up because he wasn't a pro football player, was an NFL player and didn't have that entree that a, a pro football player. And that's why he sort of, he's all, he always came from the perspective. I'm just going to have to be smarter and outwork everybody. I'm just not, that's how I'm going to advance. In this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Ira, they came to each other's lives at a very fragile time, Brady and Belichick. You, you know, both of them understood. They both had this incredible drive to be great at, at a game that nobody could control. And, and they were, that drive, you know, was, was hidden because both of them are kind of quiet people, but it, it dominated their entire lives and kind of shaped their, shaped their self-identity. And so, in 2000, when Belichick drafts Brady, he doesn't know it at the time that, you know, he's won the lottery. But both of them, you know, Belichick had seen his own career and life annihilated in Cleveland and, and had to wait five years for a second chance. Brady almost went undrafted. Like, both of these men understood the inherent fragility in the career that they had chosen. And I think that's one of the reasons why the first, you know, three or four Super Bowls, even though they weren't, you know, similar personalities. I think it's one of the reasons why they made beautiful music together is because they both kind of realized that they came into each other's lives at that perfect time. And the sky was the limit of what they could accomplish. And then you bring in Robert Kraft, the owner who almost has that same type of thing where 
you know, he made his money, went and married into a family that turned a packaging business and, and got rich that way, but somehow bought the probably the, the team that had the least value in the league because they were played at a terrible stadium because he, he owned yeah. the lease to the stadium and was able to take it over. And no one's like, we look at the Patriots today, even though the stadium is the most impossible stadium to get in and out of it was at the Brady return game. I, I cannot believe people can go back and forth that game. But the fact is, he turned into this valuable franchise and worth billions of dollars, but he, he, was, he just, you know, he himself... But the genius of him was when Belichick was so hard to get Belichick and he was already fired and Parcells won't let him go. He traded the number one draft pick for him. And, and your story about why he made that trade, I mean, that was a brilliant, brilliant move. And it, it paid off. And, and Kraft's got to get credit for that. Oh, no doubt. I think that it was the greatest trade in NFL history. And, you know, I, I think that what made Kraft interesting is that even though um, you know, he had his own issues, right? I mean, he can be kind of needy and he didn't feel like the Belichick treated him with the respect that he deserved. He always kind of understood the bigger picture. And that was that he had something great going and he had watched what happened when Jerry Jones let ego get in the way of the Dallas Cowboys and what happened to, you know, an incredible collection of, of coaching and, and on-field talent. And so he really took it upon himself to manage these personalities and to keep Brady and Belichick around as long as it possibly could go. And that was, it was hard, you know? And I mean, at times it made their Brady and Belichick relationship even harder because in a lot of ways, some of the coaches felt like that Kraft was so willing to appease Brady that it almost made Belichick look out, look like more of the bad guy than he actually was being at times. But, and then, you know, there was one moment where, where Kraft was at the, at a rich guy's business conference in Aspen. And he's, you know, he's like, man, I really hate leaving here. You leave all these brilliant minds. And, you know, I got to go back to Detroit to be with the biggest effing a-hole in my life, my head coach. And, you know, it's like, but, but in the same sense, Kraft was able to keep it together as long as he could. And the one of the ways he did that was that he always told Brady that if Belichick ever decided to move on from him, he would let him have some say over his fate. And then he evolved that to saying, you know, he had earned the right to walk away on his own terms. And that stuff really came to a head in August of 2019 when, you know, the Patriots and Brady were in a really tough contract negotiation. Kraft ends up kind of backing Belichick and not wanting to offer Brady a contract until he's age 45. And Brady signs what's essentially a one-year contract with an out to be a free agent. And 48 hours after he signs that contract, he and Giselle Bunchen put their house on the market. Right. I mean, that was, uh, it, it was the one thing in terms of it, you've mentioned the book though. I mean, you, it's the, it is the growth. It's in the beginning when Brady, you mentioned mm-hmm. that he went to his players like Lur, Maroy, Dion Branch, whenever Belichick, if he's known to just like get rid of players, if it doesn't work, you know, better a year early than a year late. But mm-hmm. Brady went to Kraft, but Kraft backed on some issues, you know, Brady didn't have that pull. He couldn't, you know, some of these players do have this, but it's also that you heard about Aaron Rodgers. When Aaron Rodgers is complaining, it's like, oh, we got rid of, he listed, what, 20 players the backers had, and they don't listen to me. But, you know, Brady had the same issue, and he was going, and no one would seem to listen to him on, on who he was trying to get. Well, I think that towards, towards the end of Brady's career, he not only wanted a contract that would take him until age 45, but I think he wanted to just have more influence, you, you know, across the organization. And even though I think that Belichick adjusted more than he got credit for Belichick was never going to hand over the keys to the team to Brady. And, you know, Brady told Joe Montana at the Super Bowl when the chiefs played 
um, the 49ers. He goes, you know, they, they ask my opinion, I give it, and then they do their own thing. And so I think that, you know, when he was looking for a new home, you know, obviously he wanted that contract and that belief that he could play till age 45. But like, he also wanted to just take what he had learned over this astounding career and influence it and try to help a team and look at, at Tampa. I mean, you know, he's, he's the quarterback of the team. He's the de facto offensive coordinator. He's a pseudo personnel executive and Alex Guerrero, who obviously, you know, his business partner, who, who had his curtail access, you know, his, his access curtailed under Belichick has an office in the Tampa Bay Bucks building and he got a Super Bowl ring. And so, you know, things are just different for Brady and Tampa than they were ever going to be in New England. But is there any way, I mean, I think when you watch Brady, it's, it's like he is in the way the sport has, has transformed in terms of you can't sack him, you can't hurt him, and the wide receivers that he throws to are running wide open. And it's sort of come to him and, and let him play his game. But so many of these great athletes, and you saw Manning at the end, Peyton Manning lost all his physical skills, but just he won a Super Bowl, and people say, oh, he doesn't get credit for that. Yeah, he gets credit for it. He was just the smartest person on the field. I mean, he was a genius out there. So now you have Brady with still his great physical skills, maybe a little deteriorated, but the same thing, he's going against, like the other day, Justin Fields. I mean, he's playing against rookies, and, and these subpar, these quarterbacks that have no idea what they're looking at. Maybe 10 years no. they will. And, and that's the advantage. And I just was wondering by Belichick said, what, we could maybe get maybe two or three Super Bowls out of this if I could use that. But he didn't, he didn't push it. He didn't want to give him the five-year deal and, and didn't want to really keep Brady there. I mean, again, I just I was thought that Brady, Belichick, you know, he felt that his ch- chances were better with something else than with Brady. I mean, it's turned out to be a massive personnel blunder that the two people who should have known better than anybody than to underestimate Tom Brady, Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft, did exactly that. And, um, I mean, you're right about Brady. It's not only that, you know, he walks onto each field with more knowledge than any quarterbacks probably ever had at this point. It's that, you know, he, he keeps improving physically and it's just odd, but he does like when they played, when the bucks played the Patriots and that, you know, obviously that, that highly anticipated game about a month ago, you know, the, the Bucks probably won that game on Brady's ability to extend plays outside of the pocket. As crazy as that sounds, I mean, Brady threw a, Belichick put it together a pretty good defense that forced Brady into a lot of incompletions and made them settle for a lot of field goals. And, you know, Brady's ability to roll out of the pocket and to scramble for a first down, you know, those are kind of the third down conversions that ended up, you know, winning the game for the Bucks. He He's... He is, like his coach said, I mean, he truly is one of a kind. But you mentioned your book, things that came out. I mean, that's what I would encourage anybody that your book has been on every time I go on my search engine sites is everything. They get blurbs about it. Read the book because I picked up so much stuff that I didn't see picked up in the media. And like one of the things I saw that I haven't heard anywhere was that Brady and Belichick, you write that they met twice a week, just themselves, Mm -hmm. no offensive coordinators, no Josh McDaniels, no Charlie Weiss. Just those, not mm-hmm. once a week, not for a second, but you said they met twice a week themselves. Now, even when they were not supposedly talking to each other, they would still game plan each other. And it's just amazing that these two brilliant minds would sit there. And you mentioned about Belichick, as you met, you know, he viewed himself as the coach of the entire team and not just a defensive coordinator, that he saw both sides. And that's why he had those meeting with Brady without any coordinators. Well, in 2001, Dick Rabine, the Patriots quarterback coach, died. And after that, Belichick kind of assumed – the role of quarterback coach in addition to being head coach. And that was obviously the year that 
that Brady ended up coming in and starting most of the season and winning the Super Bowl. And he kind of just never stopped doing that. And he, he boiled the game down to its essence. And that's it. Like, obviously these other players matter, but he was doing his best to make sure that as a head coach, he was on the same page with his quarterback. And, it was the most important important relationship in football. And he was going to make sure that that was the case. And so on Tuesdays they would meet and they would go through every defensive back that they were going to play against and what, and have a detailed scouting session about them and try to figure out routes that would work against those guys. And then on Saturday they would, you know, review the game plan together and just make sure that they were on the same page with things. And so that was kind of how it worked. And I think that it was a fascinating, um, it, it was a fascinating way to do business, especially when you consider Belichick, you know, as a defensive coach and, you know, Brady, obviously like, you know, a quarterback of the team, the fact that they were able to do that was really fascinating. And I mean, there was even some funny moments there. There was one year where Mark Sanchez was playing for the jets and Brady comes in for the Saturday meeting and Belichick's watching, um, you know, film of, of Mark Sanchez and Sanchez rolls out during one play and he's got a receiver open like 60, 70 yards downfield. And Belichick was talking to Brady. He's like, God, you're not going to get a guy more open than this. Just throw it. Just throw it. And Brady's going like, dude, do you know what would happen if I tried to throw it as I was running 60 or 70 yards downfield? It would go 15 yards and die. And it was just sort of like, you, you know, it was kind of like one of those things where it's like, yeah, just throw it. Yeah, of course. Like maybe two players in NFL history could make that throw. I just love it. And I love when you wrote the book that you on some of the plays, because everything's defined your last game. Either you win the Super Bowl, you lose the Super Bowl, lose a playoff game. And those games are defined by key plays in those games. And you just didn't say, well, this play happened. You gave us in the book the insight from everybody who was involved in the play, from the receivers, to the linemen, and everything about those plays, the plays that we remember. And I think that even the opposing teams, and I thought that was pretty cool, because people, when you read the book, there were, I mean, Brady was 6-3 and three in the Super Bowl for the, uh, the Buccaneers, and he lost you know, some very close playoff games, and there was plays, but they didn't win. Like, rarely, you mentioned this, like, they rarely won any Super Bowl uh, hit win by 30 points. I mean, everything was down mm-hmm. to a kick of it, this and that, and I think that was so cool that Brady, so even though there was terrible losses to the Giants, there was the, the wins that he had, um, and I think it was beneath the breakdown how you said, you know, in the book, and then how you mentioned that Belichick was concerned at the end for some of the losses they was having in these key games that he didn't, like, throw deep, made some mistakes, and that's where they thought the deterioration was starting. Well, look, there's so much that's gone on with the Patriots over the last 20 years that you could write a book about a gazillion things. You could write an entire book about Spygate, an entire book about Deflategate. And actually, there has been a book, an entire book written about Deflategate, about Aaron (laughs) Hernandez, you know, whatever. And, and, you know, I tried to write about the plays when I write about those games and those moments. I really tried to zero in on plays that I thought were critical and revealed something larger at play. Like in 2003, the Patriots play the Denver Broncos on Monday night football and, and Belichick completely, you know, sends you know, the Broncos are in control of the game and the Patriots take an intentional safety, hoping that it would lead to a series of events that would win the game for them. And, and it did. And it was one of those glimpses of Belichick where he not only saw the game differently than everybody else in that these series of moves that, you know, if the probabilities were high enough for each of them, they would all end up working out. But he also just broke certain coaches. I mean, he broke Mike Martz in the Super Bowl in 2001, and he broke Sean McVay in the Super Bowl, you know, the last Super Bowl they won together. And 
you know, that was one of those examples where he did it to Mike Shanahan, where Mike Shanahan just couldn't believe that Belichick had pulled off this series of events that ended up winning the game. And, you know, it was one of those games when I talked to Mike Shanahan about it, he was like, that game still bothers me. And, you know, it's so long ago, it still bothers him. And you talked to, talk to Mart, and Mart still was, you know, upset about that. <laughs> that yeah, that absolutely. But um, I guess I mean, we're talking to Seth Wickersham, uh, author of It's Better to Be Feared, a, a total must-read. And even if you don't really care about the Patriots that much, if you like the NFL, you have to read it. And even if you think you know everything, there's a lot of people like, as I said, I follow sports to nothing. And, I, and you just pick up on every single page something new, something you want to think about. Oh, I didn't know that. And I think that just fills in so many blanks. It's almost like playing the uh, 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 Wheel of Fortune, you know, and getting the, the vowels and the letters. It, it just fills in some pieces. I thought was really good. You mentioned at the end of the book when Brady goes over to Kraft's office and said, I'm, op- I'm opting out of my contract. And Kraft, even then, even though after all the friction between everything and with the Jimmy G and the issue and they wouldn't give him a longer deal, Kraft thought that, that they could still work this out. And I guess mm-hmm. that was the point was like what – Kraft, when push came to shove, he didn't try to make it work out with him. I mean, there was a point where in his mind he said, I'm going to choose Belichick over Brady. Yeah, it was an organizational decision to not invest in Brady guaranteed until he was age 45. I think that the Patriots wanted to keep him kind of on a year-to-year basis and, you know, be cautious about it. And Brady made very clear that he wanted to, you know, he thought felt like he had earned that, that, you know, show of faith and so when the Patriots, you know, opened the door for him to walk out, he was more than willing to walk out. And, but even so, even the night in March, 2020 on the onset of free agency and also a global pandemic, when Brady comes over to Kraft's house and says, you know, I need to talk to you about my future. Even then Robert Kraft was thinking that, you know, they were going to work out a contract, just the two of them, and it was all going to work out. And instead, obviously Brady told him, you know, that they weren't going to continue on together. Wow. That's amazing. Well, anyway, uh, Seth, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. The book, it's, it's Better to Be Feared. You can find it at any store, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, online. Suggest anyone read this book. It was great. I spent the whole week reading it. Loved it. And uh, Seth, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. Thank you so much.